Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm your host, Abigail Snyder, and this is the Armchair Travel Show where you don't have to leave your comfort zone. If your comfort zone is your car, you stay there. If your comfort zone is your dorm room, you stay there. And if your comfort zone is your living room, you stay there. Last time on the Virtual Voyage, we were in the Dead Sea region in Israel, and we were visiting a large salt statue of, of sorts that some claim to be a Lot's wife. Now, we'll remember that Abraham's nephew Lot, along with his family, lived in the region of Sodom and Gomorrah, and those were two very wicked cities. And God chose to punish those cities by destroying them with raining fire and brimstone. Even though Abraham bargained with God to spare the cities, if there were just 10 righteous people inside its walls, God could not. He could not find even 10 righteous people in this city. And so he stood by his promise to destroy such wicked places. God did give Lot and his family a chance to escape, we learn. Uh, And that was through the angel delivering a message to Lot and his family. But we'll remember that that angel did tell Lot specifically, and his family too, to not look back upon the destruction. Lot's wife did, and she was turned into a pillar of salt. Now, it's unlikely, as we talked about, that the pillar of salt we saw, which, which it does sort of look like a giant person, it's unlikely that is actually the remains of Lot's wife. For one, we don't know where she looked back upon the destruction. The Bible doesn't say. And for two, the pillar would have looked very different thousands of years ago as it's salt, and it has been eroded and reshaped over the ages. But I still like to bring people here because it gives you a mental hook on which you can hang the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and also Lot and his family. Last time, we also talked about a few interesting side topics as we were sitting on the bus, uh, one of them being Jerusalem syndrome. So we talked about how some people come to Jerusalem and become psychotic. And the only way to curb the effects of this so-called Jerusalem syndrome is to leave. Now, don't get worried. This is a rather rare occurrence. I believe only mm, 40 or so tourists get hospitalized due to the psychotic state they enter into from this. And that's a really, really low number when compared to how many tourists come to Israel. I mean, over 4.5 million people per year journey to the Holy Land and see what's here, which is which is pretty cool. We also discussed the significance of Israel as the Jewish state. And as an American, I'll be honest, it's hard for me to imagine just how significant the land of Israel is to the Jews. I mean, hear me out. The United States is a country unlike any other, and any American should be immensely thankful for the blessing of living in the U.S. But God did not grant the land from California to Florida and everything in between to George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Uh, and the other founding fathers, right? They fought for this land and set up a country that is so very special. But the Jews, on the other hand, were promised the land of Israel by God. The Bible details God's conversation with Abraham, where he is clear that Abraham's descendants will be too numerous to count, and their land will be the land of Israel. And if you know anything about biblical history— Uh, you'll know that the Jews were exiled from the land on multiple occasions. 
So to some, it might seem like God was breaking his promise to give the Jews the land, and, and some people have indeed argued that. And to anyone living before 1948, when the Jewish state was established, this thought was probably all the more real. The Jews had not had their own state for a long time. But God cannot break his promises, and the Jews have now lived in their own land of Israel. Since 1948, with many Jews making Aliyah, which is a return to the land of Israel, many Jews doing that every year, and now we see the promises of God alive and real before us, as there are nearly 7 million Jews in the land of Israel right now. Well, this week we have a special episode planned here on the Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. We're going to head back to Jerusalem and enjoy a delicious dinner at our hostel. But I've actually asked our bus driver, Mikhail, to stop at one small site on the way back home. And then when we get back, we'll head to bed. And then tomorrow, we're going to head a little north and then east of Jerusalem to a place called Jericho. Maybe you've heard of it? It is a pretty well-known place. And tomorrow, you all are going to see it. Well, let me tell you about our quick stop we're going to make here. Since we're in the region of Sodom and Gomorrah, I wanted to stop and show you some evidence, literal evidence, that this is Sodom and Gomorrah. We have about 10 minutes until our exciting science experiment commences that will help prove to you that the area we're in is actually Sodom and Gomorrah. One thing I want to mention as we're driving, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah always has interesting parallels for our own day. I'm sure I'm not giving you surprising news to say that we live in a wicked world. If you take a look at the news, it's obvious that this is true. I won't name off uh, many of the gross sins committed today, but I will say that these sins are abhorrent to God. And Sodom and Gomorrah were similar. We learn in Genesis that the two angels went to Lot's house in Sodom, uh, and they were the angels that were warning him about the coming destruction and how they could escape. And we know that Lot invited the angels to spend the night at his house, and they did so. But the men of Sodom found out that Lot had guests and went to his door saying, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may know them. Lot is obviously horrified and goes out and asks them to not act so wickedly. He even says that they can have his daughters to know, but they must leave his guests alone. The men of Sodom don't like this idea and nearly break down the door to his house, but the angels rain Lot in and then miraculously strike everyone with blindness, protecting Lot and themselves. The point I'm making with this gross story is that Sodom and Gomorrah were cities of perversity. Uh, they did things that were unnatural, things that God condemned, and things that God still does condemn. These angels are very clear when they tell Lot that we're about to destroy this place because the outcry against his people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. God can only have mercy on a place for so long before its injustices cause him to act, and I'll leave it there. But think about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, especially in relation to the world of today. Well, we're here, so grab your hat, water, camera, and anything else you might need for this stop. Okay, you might be looking around and wondering what this is and what I've brought you to. We're stopped off to the side of the road, 
and we're looking at some very uh, chalky ground, as in our shoes and pants are turning white from the chalky residue sticking to us. And I promise, chalk, it washes out. This is all going to wash out. So be brave, virtual voyagers, and walk a little this way with me. The ground is a little unstable, so, so just watch your step. Now, the reason we're here is because this is the region of Sodom and Gomorrah, or at least it is believed to be. Archaeologists have worked through some evidence to arrive at this conclusion, and I am personally inclined to believe that they're right. Uh, a main reason I think this is the area is because we know that God rained down fire and brimstone, also known as fire and sulfur. Keep that in mind. We know that he rained that down upon the cities to destroy them. So... Wouldn't it be cool if we could literally find hmm, some old sulfur balls? I mean, it would make sense. God would have had to have used a lot of sulfur to destroy these two cities. So we should still be able to find it today, in theory. And it just so happens that you are standing on the evidence. While my biology professor might be very mad with me condoning this right now, it really is okay. There's plenty of, of sulfur that we're standing on to go around. Here, here, check this out. I just scooped up a little white ball about the size of a bouncy ball that you can get for a quarter at restaurants. You know what I'm talking about? You may even be able to find larger sulfur balls. Now, I'm going to prove to you that these little balls around us are actually sulfur. And maybe you wondered why when I got out of the bus, I brought my little on-the-go mini stove with me. It's about the size of a large reusable water bottle, so it's not going to break my back. And normally, I like to boil some water with it to have tea when I'm out on the go, but I'm going to set it down and start a fire and do something a little different with it. Okay, check this out. The flames from the fire are now going. I've turned them on. And now I'm going to take this little ball and put it on top of my mini stove in a place where the flame can reach it. Whoa, whoa, did you see that? It's, it's burning blue. And maybe you start to smell that awful stench. Ooh, that is really bad. Ah, the flame is starting to go out now. Okay, so what was that? What we just saw, virtual voyagers, was a piece of sulfur burning. I'm no chemist, but I learned when I first came to this area that burning sulfur produces a blue flame. And we saw that. And that awful stench, well, that's sulfur dioxide gas. Sulfur dioxide gas can be really bad for us in large quantities, however. So I promise I didn't just endanger your life or or your lungs, uh, with that little experiment. But that's the evidence I needed to show you. Large quantities of sulfur all came down on Sodom and Gomorrah, and some of it is left here today. Okay, let me turn off the flame. So now you can imagine that if fire raining down from heaven didn't kill the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, at some point the poisonous sulfur gas surely would have. And of course, like I mentioned, we're fine breathing right now. You can, you can breathe easy, rest easy, we just burn the tiniest amount of sulfur. But honestly, I can't imagine how strange it must have been to see fire from the sky coming down along with these balls of sulfur. I mean, maybe, I was trying to think, maybe they thought it was hail coming down. Although, again, hail in the Dead Sea region, that's, that's pretty unlikely. I mean, who knows what they thought? It was probably complete chaos as the people tried to run to safety. That's what I imagine. And maybe some did escape the immediate hits of the fire and maybe like the immediate hits of the balls of burning sulfur coming down, but no one could have survived for all that long, especially when you factor in the, the sulfur dioxide gas. And God wanted no survivors from this wicked place. He decimated the region 
And now this is what's left. Well, that's the quick stop. We could just keep walking along this somewhat flat area for a while, and eventually we'd hit some salt mountains. But you're not going to see much beyond that. When God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, although it was thousands of years ago, he really did destroy it in such a way that it was never coming back. Well, let's jump back in the bus and start heading back to Jerusalem here on the virtual voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. It's been a long day that started early as we left for the Dead Sea, right as the sun was rising, and now it's late afternoon. I know you all will want to get back, thoroughly showered to get all the remaining salt from the Dead Sea off of you, and then eat dinner and go to bed. Oh, speaking of dinner, I got a text from the hostel chef a little bit ago. Tonight's meal is special. Fresh, warm pita bread that you can fill with falafel and, and shawarma, so fried chickpea balls, and then meat. He's also ordering in some hummus from a very nice hummus restaurant. Oh, and he makes a mean shakshuka, which is one of my favorite Israeli dishes. It's eggs that have been poached in tomato sauce with lots of herbs and spices. Simple, but unbeatable, especially when prepared by a master like our chef. And also, you're not going to want to miss the Israeli fruit for dessert. Oh, it's so much healthier and so much better, I tell you. If there's anything that proves Israel is the land flowing with milk and honey, uh, meaning it's a very fertile land, it's the fruit. I mean, check out the pomegranates especially, because they have a special meaning in Jewish tradition. There are said to be 613 seeds in the pomegranate, and there are also 613 commandments the Jews follow from the Torah, from the law, right? The pomegranate is a special symbol to the Jews because... It represents righteousness and wisdom, since the number of seeds in the fruit is the same as the number of commandments the Jews follow. Well, everyone, we're back in Jerusalem at our hostel, and I'm going to leave you all for the night. Be sure to thoroughly wash any remaining salt off from our Dead Sea adventure, and make sure to get dinner. It's going to be amazing. And talk to some fellow tourists while you're there. I know it's comfortable to sit with our group of virtual voyagers because, okay, I'll, I'll just say it. We are a pretty awesome group, but, but go get out of your comfort zone. Try it for just one meal and you may get to meet some pretty cool people too. Hello everyone. Thank you for being so prompt this morning. I love seeing your eager faces. You know, it makes all the late nights of prepping for the next day's tour in my hostel room worth it when there are people like you all so excited to learn even when it's early. And maybe you're especially excited because I've already hinted at where we're going. Jericho. A lot of people are familiar with this place because there's a popular Sunday school story that took place there. And we'll get into the full story later, but the gist is that God tells Joshua that he has given Jericho to the Israelites and Jericho is currently ruled by formidable foes. So, so that just seems completely crazy, but God says it's going to belong to you nonetheless. So for six days, the Israelites marched around the gates of Jericho, these, these big fortified gates. And then on the seventh day, all the Israelites shouted. The walls fell and they were able to conquer the city. So that was the main uh, kind of stopping point for them. They weren't going to be able to get over the walls and get in because the walls were protecting the city of Jericho. But once they fell, the Israelites conquered it. And, and we'll get into the nitty gritty of the story 
and explore some of the Jewish interpretations later. But, oh, oh, also, you all will get on your first cable car ride here in Israel. There's an awesome cable car that takes you from Jericho up to a mountain that looks down on Jericho. So it's really cool. We'll actually start down on the ground and then we'll head up to like this cliff essentially. And to any of you who are shuddering because of your fear of heights, take, take consolation knowing that I too have a crippling fear of heights. I'm sure I've told you all that I sobbed hysterically for the entirety of the hike down Masada the first time I went. Oh, that's embarrassing to think back on. But cable car rides are completely safe. We're in this enclosed box. It's pretty big though, so even if you're claustrophobic, it honestly is, is a pretty nice sized box. We're checked all the time um, by, by the monitors uh, down down on, on both ends, on Jericho end and on, and on the mountainous end. And of course, the cable car boxes are kept up to a certain level of, sa of safety standards. So it's really cool, it's really safe, and we'll get to pass right over Jericho and actually get an aerial view. So that's gonna be awesome. I mean, most people just get to see Jericho from the ground if they get to see Jericho at all, but you're going to get to see both sides. And if you prefer not to look out, no problem. So let's all go ahead and hop on the bus, which is waiting for us outside. We have a mm, 45 minute or so drive to Jericho. So let me tell you a little bit about this city as we travel here on the virtual voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. Currently, Jericho is in the West Bank, which means Jews can't really visit this site, except for special predetermined days out of the year when the Jews and the Palestinians uh, kind of make a truce. And that goes for, for both sides. There are certain days where one will say, okay, you can come in, and other days where, you know, the other side will say, you can come to our site. So that's, that's an interesting little truce that does happen. But uh, for the majority of the year, Jews are not going to be in Jericho. Now, Jericho is recognized as one of the oldest cities in the world. In fact, most scholars agree that Jericho is the oldest continually inhabited city on earth. So even if it's not the oldest, it's the oldest in terms of being continually lived in over thousands of years. And, and maybe, like I said, maybe there are older cities, but really what sets Jericho apart is just that fact that it's been inhabited for so long. You know, even today, people still live there. They don't actually live on the tell that the various layers of Jericho that archaeologists can, can dig through and kind of slice through like a pie and, or a cake, rather, and, and see the layers of civilization that have happened. They don't live on the actual archaeological tell anymore, uh, but they do still live in Jericho proper. So not only is Jericho the oldest city, or, or one of the oldest cities in the world, but another cool fact is that it's the lowest city in the world. It's 846 feet below sea level. So right away, you're killing two birds with one stone. You got the oldest and the lowest city. And of course, there have been some fascinating excavations at Jericho. Archaeologists have found some pretty old stuff, obviously. Uh, but archaeologists have also come to some conclusions that Christians might disagree with based on the biblical narrative. There's one British archaeologist you're going to want to remember because her name is going to come up a lot as we discuss this, and she's Kathleen Kenyon. She died in the 1970s, but she excavated Jericho in the 50s. 
She wasn't the first to excavate Jericho. That would be Charles Warren in 1868. But Kenyon's significant because she really publicized her view, which was that the walls falling down at Jericho when the Israelites marched around them, well, that story never happened. That's what she believes. So, of course, Kenyon and other skeptics like her would say that the story of the walls falling down, you know, Israelites going and conquering Jericho is basically just a folk tale to explain the ruins at Jericho. And the reason for this negative outlook is the excavation carried out at the site in the 50s under the direction of Kenyon. She actually concluded this. These are her words. It is a sad fact that the town walls of the late Bronze Age within which period the attack by the Israelites must fall by any dating, not a trace remains. The excavation of Jericho, therefore, has thrown no light on the walls of Jericho, of which the destruction is so vividly described in the book of Joshua. So basically, she's saying that she has not discovered any walls from the late Bronze Age, which is when the Israelites attacked Jericho. So therefore, if the story of the fall of Jericho uh, from Joshua hinges upon the existence of walls, she says the story has to be false. Well, we're out of time, and what a cliffhanger we're leaving on. You'll just have to come back next time as we explore Kenyon's argument. Is the story of Israelites conquering Jericho fact or fiction? And as a little teaser, we're actually going to have an expert Come on the virtual voyage and join us here outside the city of Jericho to discuss that. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the virtual voyage, the armchair travel show with me, Abigail, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I hope you'll tune back in next time as we continue to explore Jericho.